Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Terry George's new historical drama, The Promise. Starring Oscar Isaac, Charlotte Le Bon, and Christian Bale, the film tells the story of the romance that develops between Michael, a brilliant medical student, and Anna, a dance instructor who is drawn to Michael by their shared Armenian heritage. Complicating matters is Anna's boyfriend, Chris, an American photojournalist dedicated to exposing political truth. But as the Ottoman Empire crumbles into war-torn chaos, the romantic rivalry must take a back seat to matters of survival as they join forces to get their people to safety during the Armenian Genocide. In addition to The Promise, Mr. George's credits include the feature films Some Mother's Son, Reservation Road, and Hotel Rwanda, the movie for television A Bright Shining Lie, the pilots for the series Outlaw and The District, and episodes of the series In Treatment. In 1992, Mr. George won the Academy Award for Best Short Film Live Action alongside Orla George for The Shore. After a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. George spoke with fellow director Tony Gilroy about filming The Promise. During their conversation, Mr. George discusses the difficulty of shooting in 20 locations across three countries in only 70 days, his reluctance to use CGI in his films, and how David Lean influenced his ability to visualize the epic. Thank you for. Uh, I'll do one thing before we start, uh, just because uh, we should. You should say whatever kind of pagan prayer or whatever works for you for John Demi, Jonathan Demi. Oh, yeah, spent a lot of, of time in this room. His spirit yeah. and his ghost is yeah. so present in this particular room. All the films that he showed here, and all the times he must have uh, been yeah. in the audience, and all the times he must have been moderating. Uh, this is uh, his. He's in here, so. Uh, Anyway, yeah, what a great guy. Yep. yep. Um, what I like to do is, um, uh, what I'll do is, I'm going to ask questions. I just saw Terry for a few minutes next door, but the questions that I want to ask him, director to director, what interests me, and uh, I hope it interests you, and then I'll split apart. They'll give me, a, and we'll we'll take questions, whatever I've missed that you think is really important. But I mean, uh, I'm assuming nobody here has to buy a ticket. Everybody's already been seen yeah. the movie, so we're not selling tickets. So this should be sort of a yeah. uh, that's that's one, the most fun for me. So what I really want to know is, I mean, uh, man, I love big outdoor filmmaking. I mean, every yeah. time I've had a chance to do it, I dig it. Um, how many days do you get to make this movie? What how, how's this movie come together, and how do you get to how do you get to an idea yeah. of how you're going to make it? Well, the coming together, first of all, was quite unique, you know, and there's been a bit of publicity about that, in that Kirk Kerkorian, who all know, probably all know, bought and sold MGM and half of Las Vegas throughout his life and accumulated a vast fortune, wanted this story told. And I, asked, I first asked the question, well, he owned MGM, why didn't he make the film himself? 
and apparently he treated MGM as a property rather than a creative investment that, to get involved in. And so he set up a fund uh, to have a film made, and he was very specific about it. He wanted a Zhivago-esque, David Lean-esque love story set against the backdrop of the Armenian Genocide film. Um, then the, the company that was set up called Survival Pictures uh, partnered up with Mike Medavoy, who, you know, as we all know, has a long history and has made many great films, and uh, some of them in this vein. And they had Robin Swicord write uh, two drafts of a script. And then it passed around, and, and it landed at my agent and sent it to me. And, and I knew the story of the Armenian genocide through researching the Rwanda genocide, uh, and, and particularly a book written by Samantha Power. Um, before that, I, like almost 99% of the population, had no, I knew something bad happened to the Armenians, but I had no conception of what it was. So when I got the script and got the chance, I, I and, and not only the chance to like pitch for the f or be involved in the film, but the fact that this was fully financed, they wanted to go. They clearly, when I met them, had you know a deep desire to do it, but at the same time, were basically saying to me, "Okay, here's here's the basic story, you know, go with it, uh, but we want you to tell." the story of the whole Armenian genocide. Do you meet Krikorian? No, no. Never I met didn't. him? Never met him. He, by the time I got involved, he was uh, pretty ill in Vegas, and, and the, the producer, Eric Israelian, was the communicator back and forward. And they told me he read the script and so forth, but I never met him. No. And he died before we started shooting, at 98. So when you come on, you know you're going to have a lot of heat on the film. You know yeah. there's going to be a lot of controversy. If you, is there actually security concerns where you're worried about? Uh, people? No, there was a lot. Yeah, because there's yeah. been a lot of you know there's a lot of heat about the subject and um, and we we clearly couldn't shoot in Turkey, so we skirted around. We thought about Morocco. We thought about Jordan. We ended up in Spain mostly, uh, a little bit in Portugal, and and quite a bit in Malta. Malta for Constantinople and for the, the, the drowning scenes at the end and so forth in, in that big tank in Malta. But it was, it was 20 locations across three countries in 70 days. And 70 days is what you had from the start. Yeah, and it had to be. It was like Oscar Isaac finished X-Man Apocalypse on September 5th. We started shooting on September 9th, and we had to finish on Christmas Eve because he was then going on to Star Wars the first week of January, and so, so there was no coming back. Um, and that was it. It was like 70 days, it had to happen. And, uh, and it, was, it was pretty insane. You know, I mean, a meta boy kept saying about, we want the David Lean, and finally I had to say, look, it took him 210 days to shoot Chivago, 230 to shoot Lawrence of Arabia, and I've got 70. So you're getting David Lean on crack. That's <laughs> it, you know? And they prepped those movies for years. How long did you get to have a chance to prep this film? No, four months. Most of which was spent looking for locations because we're in a minibus going around. But it, it was, uh, yeah, and, and not only, there was no waiting for the sunset to come up. The other thing was that, and this was part of my thing, that I didn't want, I wanted to try and avoid using CGI as much as possible. So we actually moved hundreds of, extras up the mountain and down the mountain and into the water and out 
again and 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 steered away from using CGI, other than the obvious stuff of recreating the the, the big wide shots of Constantinople and so forth. And that you know, I don't know. I just have a thing about CGI that it's stolen the whole mystique of movies. But well, it's on the fun of making them, that's for sure. But yeah, yeah. That's Though the thing. It's a, yeah, you it's think the fun it's of making them, yeah. Right, it's the fun until you have 40 orphans trying to get them up a mountain. And well, I was going to work it out. I know, I was yeah. going to. And then the, the, you, the, you learn that the EU law is that they can only work for four hours. Orphans right. in particular or children? Children. Okay. Orphans are, no, orphans are not. We, we, or orphans, <laughs> you get an extra 40 they're minutes. They're not so bad. Right. Yeah, you get, yeah, you've yeah. got you got to nurse the bribe or something. Right. But, um. Yeah, so we, you know, you've got four hours. It takes an hour to get up and an hour to get down, and all that good stuff. Okay, so this movie sit. So this is an interesting. So the movie's sitting there. It's like, oh my god, here's a movie that's ready to go. We're going. Yeah. The uh, potentially, possibly one of the most expensive independently financed films ever, right? Maybe the most. Maybe yeah. the most ever, right? Yeah. yeah. Ready to go, fully funded. Uh, was the cast already in place? Did you have? No, no. Uh, they sent the script out that I wrote to various people, and then right. Christian Bale. He was the first to come on board, and, and then that attracted Oscar. Isaac jumped on board, and then. But you weren't that, chasing foreign sales on this movie. You didn't have to chase a number. We didn't no. have to chase a penny. Right. No. So now you come on, and who do you bring? Who's on your like? My team. Yeah. Who do you who do you who do you keep, and and how outside of your comfort zone do you get? Well, I didn't have. Um, there were a couple of DPs that I wanted. Dion BB. Uh, was working on something else. You know, they're always working on something else. And um, and then, and I met Javier Agrilla Robe, and we, we got along. And But part of the attraction, obviously, was that the production company was that he was Spanish, and we had to fill a quotient to make that tax break. Because even though we were financed, people don't want to give up a good tax break. So... <laughs> <laughs> no matter what I said, so yeah, yeah, no, it's like just get that. Can you? Sh what was it? Can you like cast an actor from Italy because we can get ten dollars from the Vatican for hiring him? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that happened to me in Hotel Rwanda, where I had to hire a poor uh, Italian actor, and I put him in as a priest. <laughs> uh, he was a priest in the shot where they were evacuating the the. the Europeans, the whites, out of the hotel, and we had uh, rain rigs pouring down. The poor guy got pneumonia, and I knew, I knew I was cutting away the whole film. <laughs> and I felt, and he was a big deal in Italy. So anyway, yeah. So so that 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 was the, the, there were there were all these jigsaw puzzle pieces that you had to so put basically in. Basically, had no one that you knew. Nobody. No, I had the, the camera operator from Luck. You told me that before. You Roberto That's a really unusual one person to bring with you. Yeah. That's no, cool. But, I like that idea. Well, but I, I had notions about, you know, we're not going to be slinging the camera around a lot, but Roberto is maybe the greatest steady cam operator. And so, you know, I could rely There's on a him. lot of filmmaking in this movie. There's a lot of filmmaking. Yeah. The, yeah well, and you throw a lot of, you throw a lot of things away. You, there's so many big shots. Because your movie moves really fast. Well, that's a problem. I mean, look, you plan big shots. And that was one, you know, you plan. We had a crane shot where you see when Mikael arrives in Constantinople and he's getting off that. Believe that was a wonner. That was a wonner along the ship and down the plank and through the whole crowd and up the steps. And then you get into the edit room and everybody wants 
a movie that's two hours and ten minutes. For me, I mean, the one thing is, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of criticism in the the reviews and all, but it's a love story tagged onto this or that. If you're going to make a David Lean-esque movie, then it better be three hours because you can't you can't snip it. You know, I had to cut this all down and the big glorious one shots and squeeze all this in, um, and, you know, and that was that was part of the. Was there a much longer cut that you love? That well, you yeah, like? there is, yeah. Um, but I'm not going to do the director's thing. Right. It's sort of like, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. Why not? Why not? I don't know. I feel the director's thing's like an apology for what you put it. It just means you couldn't fight hard enough to get what you wanted. <laughs> I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Sometimes they uh, seem justified and sometimes they don't. Yeah, but yeah to see. I mean, there's stories that aren't expanded enough for me. You know, the love story at the start is very staccato, but, but, but because we had to get we had to get to the war quickly, and yet you had to set up this log. I mean, the, the, the parameters that I was asked to include, because Robin Swicord's uh, script was a two-handed love affair, Mikael and Anna, and it was and, and they experienced the genocide on a personal level, but there was no greater picture of what took place. I introduced the Christian Bale character, the Chris, because for me, you needed to meet the main, you needed to meet Talat Pasha, you needed to meet Ambassador Morgenthau, you needed to know about the death march, you needed to know about the, the French involvement, the overall scope of the war, and there was no way that the two lead characters could tell that story. And at the same time, you know, create, uh, I needed to create a dynamic between the three of them. So it, it, this was really like a, a question of uh, moving a jigsaw puzzle around and trying to get the scope of the genocide itself because we have, I mean, in there, are the, the key events of the genocide, the, the arrival of the German ships uh, was a key moment that sent Turkey into the First World War. The, the April 24th when the the intellectuals were rounded up, was the kickoff of the genocide. The labor camps were the way that they annihilated the male population by conscripting them, disarming them, then putting them into labor camps or, or basically just massacring them. Then the death marches was the, the actual mechanism of the genocide itself. Let's move the Armenian population from the northern border of the Ottoman Empire down to the Syrian desert, but let's make them walk and they'll die along the way. So, and then the, um, the train, the massacre in the village needed to symbolize what had taken place all over, uh, all over the, uh, that region of Turkey. The involvement of not just uh, AP reporters, but of American missionaries who were crucial in sending back uh, information. Then the siege of Muzadak, which is the key uh, resistance moment in the Ar Armenian genocide and then the rescue by the French. So I had all these criteria that I wanted to get in there and at the same time keep these three characters moving through that. And so you're, you know, you're balancing this jigsaw. There was no, there was no time to kind of get stylized or sort of right. intellectual about it. It just had to bang it out and um, because at the same time I knew what Kerkorian and the Armenians wanted. They wanted a broad scope of their story told. 
and at the same time trying to whip up as much emotion uh, and attract a... But you're making all these big shots. There's, there's all these things that go by very, very quickly. There's a shot of like all these... Uh, I, I quick watched through again today to make sure I did a sort of review and watched it go by, and there's a shot that goes by of fires across a field. And it's such a massive shot, and it goes by so very quickly. I thought, God, that's really that's really brave to let that shot go by that quickly. But you're not happy about that, all right? I well, no, it's not. It's not. You're. you're <laughs> no, what I do, understand. What do you do? Do you linger no. on it and then? No, I know. Which shot? I mean, we have the shot where, uh, in the desert, leading up to where the uh, the woman gets shot and the kid tries to lift her up. The death march, essentially. Right. You know, and we shot that in half a day, and and. And the chase at the end, where they're chasing, the the it got messed up because I had a camera on a truck that was ahead of Christian Bale, and the camera started throwing up uh, sand, and uh, and you couldn't see. And then at literally five o'clock, the 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 camera operators, not the the one I brought, but good guys came and said, "Look, I don't think this is working because we got all this flying up," and I had to go to the drone guys and say, "Listen." Can you put a drone up there and we get these horses out and just have them charge down the road right. and see what we get? And the sun's setting and you have a drone up there and you're watching it on an iPhone and you're like, Fuck. because there's no coming back. You know, you've got the 70 days we're moving, 500 person crew are moving away, and this is the this is the biggest chase you have in the movie. And that, and you're relying on a you know a single red up on a drone and you're watching it on an iPhone and you're like wow. All directors remember is what went wrong. Everyone knows <laughs> that in this room. That's all they remember. It's exactly. seriously every that's all you all you think comes on TV. Your show comes on. Everybody loved your movie and you watch and go, oh god, that's the day that oh god. It's, it's so that's true. That's the day with the hair and the <laughs> drone and the. It's just oh, always such a mess. I'm gonna ask one more question. I'm gonna yeah, throw some yeah. questions out. So like. Going to a movie like, and I only did this this year because I was mm. convinced I could mm. never make a movie without all the people that I needed. Like, I mm. needed my people. But, so then I went out and did it without it, and it was actually okay. So you go out, you make this movie, with, you don't know anybody. So what's the big thing? Every movie has this huge, unless you're John Ford and you keep making the same movie over and over yeah. again, you, there's something hugely educational that happens on each one of these pictures. You sort of go, okay, now I got this down. And we're only going to get to make a couple pictures, as you know, Terry. We're yeah. not going to get to make that many. Because it's not like it was. But so, what'd you learn on this one? What was the big kick on this movie? Where you sort of go, "All right, I know." Uh, well, Older wise, but I'm taking this right, forward. Yeah, I, you say you're taking it forward because I say to myself, I'm, "I know you're lying." I'll, I'll, but, I'll, yeah, but, but I won't. I won't take it forward. But I was going to say what, you know, my conscience says. Ne never agree to take something of this scope within that fixed amount of time. That you literally can't go back the next day and redo something. Now that's what I tell myself. But I know in three months' time, when somebody says, "Here's five hundred thousand dollars to shoot this short film," and you got six days. You'll back into um, another schedule. I, I, and that, and that, that's the, what we do. And and you can't. And I, I kept saying that to people. Look, we can't put it at the bottom of the the screen here, oh please, we only had 70 days. So you can't so do I, that. I can't no. Excuse the fact no. that this shot looks a bit naff. No, no enough <laughs> whinging. The movie looks yeah. too good for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, anyway, listen, th please spread I'm, the word. Thanks for coming yeah. along. Thank you, you so like much. A, like a thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. You can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website, at dga 
www.ohio.org slash podcast. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.